Good morning, Four Points. How are you? All right, good. There's a few of you here. Uh, I know that uh, some of you. I know that some of you are uh, bemoaning the weather, but as a person who's from the Northwest, I've got to be honest. I woke up this morning and thought, "Oh, finally, it's so beautiful." I was so excited, then I came into the church building, and Pastor Austin looked at me and said, man, this weather, it's so gross. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to tell him how much I love rain. <laughs> I want to be accepted. No. This morning, we are uh, wrapping up our series. It's called Made by the Word, and just in review, the first week we talked about uh, the necessity of the Word in knowing God. To know the Word is to know God. Uh, week two, uh, we talked about trusting the Word and that God is a God of His Word. We know we can trust Him and we know that we can trust His promises in Scripture. Week three, we talked about being planted in the Word and allowing God's Word to be planted in us. And finally, last week, we spoke about Speaking the word out when life's storms come against us, we have the foundation of God's word to support us through those difficult times. Amen. Today, the title of our sermon is Live the Word. Live the Word. Before we get into that, I'm going to share with you just a little bit about something that happened with my family uh, every Friday night. We do what's called family movie night, and that's right, and it's, it is a hallowed tradition in our home. We don't miss it for anything, and uh, when my, my oldest son wants to be on his phone during family movie night, all hell breaks loose until that phone goes away and we're together. So uh, we actually decided to go ahead and go to the movie theaters. Now, after covid and all, with all the streaming services that we have available to you, you may not know what that is. You may not remember what a theater is. It's this big building, and it has screens like this, and it's, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. You get to watch movies with people you don't even know, and so it's a, it's a lot of fun. So my family and I went to the movies, and we actually saw a movie called Jesus Revolution. Good. Yeah, all right. So I, I take it some of you have went and seen this movie, is that correct? Yeah, it is incredible. If you haven't seen it yet, I want to just, I want to make this recommendation. Uh, you should go see it. And when, I, when, I, when you hear Jesus' revolution and think, yes, it's a, it's a Christian movie, uh, so to speak, don't think of those Christian movies that seem like they were filmed with a home camera with people just off the, hey, you look, you look like a a movie person, come, come be in our movie, and, you know, it's really terrible acting. Don't think that this movie is phenomenal uh, just as a standalone movie, but it is the message that has the potential of changing you because the message is the message of Jesus. And in it, there's a, it's based on the true story of the Jesus movement, which took place in the 70s and 80s, and, and, um, the three central characters in it are Greg Laurie, Lonnie Frisbee, and Chuck Smith. And each of these characters are shown in the movie, and they bring to the stage, so to speak, 
something that really was so moving. First, Greg Laurie, you know, he's a young man. He was in high school. And the movie starts off with him, and he's getting on his bike. He's leaving his mobile home, and he's, and he's getting on his bike, and he's riding to school. And you get the sense that he's trying to escape his life and that he's in search of something more. And he gets involved because of that search. He gets involved with this hippie movement, and he begins to do drugs, not, not so much as an escape, but more as, a, as I'm searching for the truth. And in his search for the truth, he's, he's, he has this natural sense, like, I've got to leave this whole brokenness in my home behind. I'm looking for something more. Finally, he encounters Jesus, and there's this scene where he's baptized. And when he breaks that water, you can see that the new life, something has changed in him, and he's back on his bike, and it's different. It shows him riding his bike at sunset, and it's like there's a new horizon. And you can see he's smiling because he's found his place. And it reminded me of the passion and the hope and the truth and the life that is Christianity. And it, and it really confronted the fact that so often our lives as Christians don't reflect the hope and truth that was so evident on Greg Laurie's face. And I thought to myself, God, God, I need that again. Remi- I, I don't want to be just reminded cerebrally. God, I want to experience the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we doing, church, if we're coming into this place and we're not experiencing that transformation? How can we say our lives are changed by God when our lives have, in fact, not changed? Then there's Lonnie Frisbee. He's a hippie who finds Jesus, and he's just become the founder of the Vineyard Movement, really. And there's this scene where he's meeting with Chuck Smith, who's the pastor. He's an older man of a small dying church called Calvary Chapel, and he's meeting in his home with this this hippie. And he look, you can tell he starts out just like, oh, I can't believe these hippies. You know, they're just breaking all the rules. And Lonnie says, and, and it's interesting because Chuck, Pastor Chuck, looks at him and says, well, tell me about your people. Tell me about your people. And Lonnie kind of smiles and he says, okay. Well, my people are searching for Jesus. They're searching for the truth, and yet the church has rejected them, and it's closed their doors to them. And it's so convicts. Pastor Chuck, that he invites them into his church. And, and here's, here's the thing. When he does, something begins to shift in the church. And lines are drawn in the sand. And on one side, you have these hippies who just want to love Jesus. They just, they're looking for something more than what life had given them. And on the other side were people who were just satisfied with what life had given them. And the people who were satisfied with the status quo were not okay with the recklessness of these hippies. 
And in fact, there's one scene where he's, the leaders of the church, kind of the three of them come, come to the pastor and say, hey, you've got to get rid of them because this is a house of worship and we, we do that with dignity. He says, this one girl stained our carpets because she's barefoot. And basically, they threaten the pastor's job. Well, that next Sunday, those leaders are coming into the church, and they notice there's this long line of hippies in front of their church. Sorry, it's very moving to me. And, and the leaders are like, why are they even here? We told the pastor that this is a place of holiness. Can't believe we're letting in people. And when he turns the corner, there's Chuck Smith, the pastor, washing the feet. And what I saw in that moment was a life transformed. It was a life that was changed. And that changed life was changing lives. That is the gospel. And it was so appropriate. God ordained, it seemed to me, that I would be preaching about living the word because here is the truth about the Word of God. Its primary purpose is to bring us into an encounter with the living God so that we can be transformed. The aim of God's Word is the shaping of our lives so decisively that we are, in the end, utterly transformed and changed. And I think we see this in what's been called the parable of the sower. Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 13, and it's been called the parable of the sower. And in that parable, Jesus says this. He says there's a farmer. He goes out to cast seed. And as he's doing that, some of the seed falls on, on the path or on hardened ground. Other seed falls among the rocks, some, some falls among weeds and thorns, and then, of course, some of that seed falls on good soil. Well, the seed that falls on the path, it gets eaten up by ravens. The seed that falls on rocky soil, it, it receives the seed, and it springs up, produces a plant, and it springs up quickly. But because the, 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 the soil is shallow, when the sun comes out, it's scorched. It's burned up and burned away. Then the soil with the weeds and the thorns, it springs up a plant, but it's choked out by the weeds. So it doesn't produce a fruit, any fruit. And then the seed that fell on good soil sprang up and produced a great harvest, 100 times, 60 times, 30 times greater than what was sown. And later Jesus is explaining this parable, and this is what he says. He says, listen, the, word, the, the seed is the word of God. It's the message of the kingdom, and it's the message of God's heart. 
And that seed gets cast upon each of these different kinds of grounds. And the seed the, that falls on the hard ground, it's, it's actually talking about, our, the, about people's hardened hearts. And what I realized was that every soil that Jesus talks about is a metaphor for the condition of our hearts. And God's word is meant to be cast upon the soil of our hearts. And the question becomes, what kind of soil is our heart? Is it hard? Has it been trampled and hurt by man so much so that it has become hardened to God's word? Or is it like the or is it like the soil with the rocks where it's shallow? And yeah, we've received God's word and it produces something in a moment, but it never has the chance to produce fruit because of life's hardships and persecution. Or is our heart more like the soil with weeds? And thorns, and Jesus says this, it says, yeah, it produces a plant, but the weeds and the thorns, it's the, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, it chokes it out, and it never produces fruit. And then finally, the good soil. Here's what occurred to me as I was meditating on these scriptures, is that God's word, when it's cast upon your hearts as seed, like what's happening right now. Its intent and its very purpose is to produce fruit in you. It's to produce transformation. Fruit is merely the expression of a transformation that happens inside of us. And that is the goal. That's why in Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, Jesus describes it this way. He says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. And Jesus doesn't stop. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't stop to define what the fruit actually is. But the New Testament is filled with descriptions of the fruit that marks the life of the believer. And Matthew chapter 3 talks about the fruit of repentance. And repentance doesn't mean saying, I'm sorry. It doesn't even mean I feel bad. It means change. I'm changed the way that I think, I think about something so that I live differently. Transformation includes both receiving God's word recognizing what's wrong, turning away from it, and then living differently. In Colossians chapter 1, it talks about the fruit of good works. Hebrews talks about the fruit of praise. That is the nature and the fruit of transformation when God's work takes effect in our lives. It produces the fruit of praise. Philippians talk about the fruit of righteousness and peace, goodness, justice, and truth in Ephesians. And finally, the fruit of uh, in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace. Listen, the point is this. Where once we produced the thorns of hatred, gossip, fear, insecurity, self-indulgence, 
God's word was always working to transform us so that we now produce hope and joy and life. And that's what I saw in Greg Laurie. That's what I saw in these hippies being changed, in, I mean, into the very people of God. And the question I'm asking myself is this, am I seeing it in my life? Are you seeing it in your life? Am I seeing it in the church? Am I seeing it on Sunday mornings? I'm begging you this morning, church, this question of yourself. Am I seeing the fruit of God's word in my life? Because that is the goal, that we're being transformed. And all I can think is, God, return me to that first love. I get so distracted by life and worries. I'm trying to look a certain way. I'm trying to make a certain paycheck. I'm trying to pay off all my bills. I'm trying to take care of my kids. And we lose sight. Listen, Christianity isn't something you add on to your life. It is your life. Church isn't something you just add on to your life. Hope and joy isn't just something that is on the periphery of Christianity. It is the soul and it is the heart of what we call the Christian life. God is our all in all. In him we live and move and have our being. And if we ever lose sight of this, we cease being the type of soil that produces the very fruit that changes the nations. This is what I love about the fruit. We experience love in God and as we're being transformed, but it produces fruit, and fruit is for consumption and not our own consumption, but the consumption of the communities around us. We should never close our doors to the quote-unquote hippies of today the people who are different and make us feel uncomfortable. And yet, if we just stop for a moment and look closely at God's word, the parable of the sower, this is what we'll see. We'll receive, this is what we'll see. We'll see that receiving the word does not equal a transformed life. Just because we receive the word does not mean that we're automatically transformed. Just because we believe the word that's being preached from the stage, just because we think it's right, does not mean that we have been transformed or that we're producing the fruit of the Christian life. The seed that fell upon the rock, it says that it represents those hearts that received the word. It received the word. Look at it, it says, at once receiving the word with joy, and yet they never produced fruit. And then again in verse 22, Jesus refers to the seed falling among the thorns. And it's, those are the ones who receive, they hear the word, they receive it, but 
they never produce fruit because it's choked out by worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Obviously, these people took into their heart God's word. But they didn't ever experience that transformation that produces the fruit of repentance. Joel B. Green is a New Testament scholar, and he writes a book called uh, Seized by Truth about reading God's Word. And, and this is what he says. He says, there is something to be said for simply expanding our knowledge base concerning data from and about the Bible. Nevertheless, we cannot and must not confuse expertise in the game of Bible trivia with the kind of tacit knowledge that marks faithfulness to Christian scripture. Just because you come into this place and you agree and you believe doesn't mean that you are changed. And here's why. Because it is only in living the word. What do I mean by that? I mean putting it into practice. It is only by putting it into practice, living the word with God, that transformation takes place and the fruit of the Christian life is produced. So let's talk about this a little bit. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What is James trying to tell us? When we listen to the word but don't put it into practice, we are deceiving ourselves because this is what happens when we come into a situation like this one right now and the preaching of the word is going forth or maybe you go home and you open up your word and you're looking into God's word, what you're actually looking into is a mirror and that mirror is showing you the features of a follower of God because that is what you are. You're a follower of the living God and so you're being shown the features of that son and that daughter of God. But then by not putting it into practice, it's like looking in that mirror, walking away, and living like you've always lived your life, forgetting who you are. You've forgotten what the features are because you just live your life the way you've always lived your life. Well, I'm a good person. We're not called to be good people. We're called to be Christ people. We deceive ourselves into believing that because we agree with what we've heard, we are what we've heard. When I was in high school and in college, I had this terrible habit, pattern of thinking that because I wanted to be a certain way, I was that way. Because I wanted to be humble, I am humble. You can hear the arrogance in that statement alone. That's like me writing a book saying, hey, this is how to be humble and how I, you know, 10 steps to be humble and how I did it in five. 
And what's so dangerous about that is that it blinded me from the pride and arrogance at work. And because I didn't see the pride and arrogance, that pride and arrogance hurt people around me. At some point, we just have to recognize where we're at. We just have to recognize that, God, I'm not producing joy in my life. I'm not producing the fruit of hope so that, not so that I can have joy in me, it's so that others can eat the fruit of joy around me. I'm just producing arrogance and pride where humility should be. I'm tired. And that's not what I want in me anymore. I want to see this room filled with broken people being healed by the power and the love of Jesus. Because if God's word doesn't by itself changes, putting it into practice opens and creates the space. It opens the door and creates the space for God to come in and change us. Because here's the bottom line. We cannot change ourselves. Listen, you cannot change yourselves, let alone anybody else around you. Listen, I've tried. I'm trying to change my kids every day and I realize I can't do it. I need Jesus. See, the farmer goes out and he does all the work. What is, he, he tills the ground. He removes the stump. He does all this work. But in the end, he can't make the seed grow. He can only trust God to make it grow. He can't make the plant produce fruit. But what he can do is create the conditions for transformation to happen. So when you put... God's word into practice. And that's hard work, you guys. When you put God's work into practice, it's not something you can be arrogant about <laughs> because you're not producing the fruit. God is. You're just making a way for him. Richard Foster says this, the life that is pleasing to God is not a series of religious duties. We have only one thing to do, namely to experience a life of relationship and intimacy with God. Now, you, what's funny is, do you know what book he writes this in? It's called The Celebration of Discipline. The discipline, being disciplined and putting all this work into practice, all the Word of God into practice, Listen, that doesn't save us. It doesn't even change us. But if we do it hand in hand with a loving God, it will create the space in our lives for God to do something in us and through us. And this morning, I want to I want to remind you that it is in the hands of a loving God that transformation happens. And I want to invite you back into that place into that place of just 
loving God again. Return me to my first love, oh God. Oh God, I, I just I got distracted again and it happens, but God, I just I need you to take me back to that the first days of my love when I when I just felt like nothing else mattered and I would have I would have given anything just to be a little bit closer. Just a little bit closer, God. And I'm gonna, I, I, I so want to be closer to you that I'll do anything. I'll put into practice the words of God that I might see your face. I used to weep. Guys, in college, I used to weep in my dorm room alone. Lights off. And I would just pray, God, I, I, I don't deserve to see your face, but I just I want to see it. Not because I need proof, but because I just love you. When's the last time I did that? When's the last time you did that? This is the essence of the Christian life. And I think God is he's putting out a call. And he's inviting us, return. Return, come back to me. Come back to me, my loved one. Come back to me, my child. Why don't you stand to your feet in the last five minutes here. I want to just I just want to invite you. God wants you close to his heart. That is the truth that supersedes all other truths. God loves us and wants us close. Hear that. God loves you. Sometimes I think we just need to hear it again. We know it, but we don't know it. God loves you this morning. Respond by worshiping Him, and then I challenge you, respond by putting His Word into practice outside of the doors that you would be transformed, that fruit would be produced in you, and the life of the nations could come to know Christ as their Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing and wonderful. You're the King, you're the Lord, and you're our Father, and you're our lover, and you set the lonely in families. You heal the broken. God, you heal the sick. You open the eyes of the blind. God, you strengthen the arms of the weak. You strengthen the knees of the weak, God. And we just, we need you. So Holy Spirit, fill this place and fill our, fill our hearts. Shake us up, God, and move us and make us. You are our all in all. You are our life. In you we have life. We live and move and have our being in you and you alone, God. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God in these last few minutes together.